This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat show and uh, a lot to talk about. Paul Feinbaum is going to join us the second half and there's some questions I'm going to ask him. Uh, that I think are I think could surprise you, um, you know. And, and as Paul is usually pretty frank, so this could be very interesting tonight because we are going to dig deep on this whole Kirby Smart, Alabama, Nick Saban. Uh, just uh, there's a lot going on right now in college football. We're going to get to the bottom of that with Paul Feinbaum from the SEC Network. Second half of the show. First half of the show. Kirby Smart's press conference today, and I thought Kirby very calm, casual, poised. And what? Let's be honest. Why wouldn't you be? You're playing UT Martin. You're not playing Clemson. You're not playing Oregon. It is different. And I understand what Kirby says, that it's up to Georgia to manufacture their own sense of urgency and that they take every game the same. And if it's one game, I totally get it, but it's different because there's no way that UT Martin it, can compete with ten, with uh, Georgia. And I, I say Tennessee because last year it was 7-7 seven to seven early in the game. And then uh, Tennessee Martin actually outscored Tennessee in the second half in Knoxville. Well, this ain't Knoxville. And these aren't the Vols, okay? These are the two-time defending Georgia Bulldogs, and they're going to absolutely steamroll UT Martin. I don't know what the spread is, but it's not enough. It's Mike Bobo's first game as the offensive coordinator. They've got something to prove. Carson Beck is going to be throwing the ball all over the yard. And then when they put in Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton, and they will, they're not going to be in there to hand the ball off. And, it, it, look, nothing personal, but Kirby has got to get this passing game going because there's new targets. Yes, Brock Bowers is back. Lad McConkey's back, no pun intended. We learned today, Lad dealing with a back injury. Kirby says he's fine. But look, you're not going to put Lad McConkey out there for 60 minutes, okay? If the guy's got a little bit of a back injury, you got to manage this. We'll see him just enough. Maybe scores a touchdown, three catches, 84 yards, and he's out. Something like that, right? But you got to see Dominic Lovett. He's got to get in rhythm with back in a game. These guys haven't played a game together yet. Right. Mackay Muse, a guy that continues to be mentioned. I wrote about him today on dognation.com. This little walk on story has gone from a cute little story to a guy that's going to be lined up in the slot and in the return game, explosive player, and, and could be a, a, a championship difference maker. Mackay Muse, keep that name in mind. And Kirby talked about Jackson Meeks. Of all the players that Kirby could talk about the ESPN the other day, I thought this was interesting. He's got a blank slate. Reese Davis says, are there any guys that are, maybe it was Pete Thame or one of the two guys, are there, is there anybody that's impressed you in fall camp? And there's a laundry list of names that we could have expected to hear. Okay, Mekhi Muse, I get it. Kirby's high on this guy. Javon Bullard, of course. He was the MVP defensively of the TCU game in the Ohio, of course. But Jackson Meek's name came up. I said, are you kidding me, Jackson? I don't know much about this guy. The more I learn, it's okay. I'm getting a feel. This is kind of a Jason Stanley-like guy. This is a 6'2", guy that lights people up on special teams. Kirby loves this. This is the guy that can block. This is a guy that can catch and run. This is a great athlete. This is one of those guys that don't show up in the box score but make a difference every Saturday. And the fact that Kirby recognized him was very telling. you got to keep your ear to the ground with Kirby Smart. Now, he, a couple other things on injuries, and I'm sure you saw this earlier today on DogNation.com, but just in case you didn't, Kirby says Dejon Edwards, you know, MCL sprain, he's going to be fine. Kendall Milton's got the hand, going to be fine. He likes the way Andrew Paul is coming along. He likes Roderick Robinson. The running back room, Cash Jones, right, they're going to be fine. The Georgia running back room right now is fine. Now, 
they can't sustain another injury to one of those lead backs. So, once again, the question for the UT Martin game is how do they manage the players? Not how do they manage the plays, because he's got to turn Bobo loose. He's got to let Mike Bobo let these quarterbacks throw. There's going to be some nuances and some differences. There would have been even if Munkin was here. This, this is what drives me nuts when people go, what do you think of the Mike Bobo offense? I think it looks a lot like what the Todd Munkin offense would have looked like. Why do I think that? Because offenses, Kirby Smart offenses, are designed around personnel. So it's going to be an offense that, surprise, is going to find ways to get the ball to Brock Bowers. It's going to be an offense that's going to, surprise, put Dominic Lovett in positions to use that explosion out of the slot, that's going to use Ladd McConkey to press the perimeter and take the top off, that's going to use Arian Smith to do that, that's going to use uh, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, uh, put him in position, use those strong, reliable hands to make those third down catches. And, and Rod Rod Thomas, he's a bit of a mystery right now. A bit of a, because this is, remember, he's the transfer from Mississippi State, came in, hello, domestic off the field, you know, didn't see him do anything in spring game. It's been real quiet, but I see him at practice and he looks good. He's big, he's strong, he's physical, and he was Mississippi State's leading receiver last year. He is a bit of a mystery guy. He is an X factor for me going into the season and into the season. Could Ra Ra Thomas be the guy that ultimately helps George get over the top? Will he fill the shoes of Adonai Mitchell as that big play threat, right? Because I don't think Marcus Roseme Jack Saint is that kind of receiver. I think he's a good receiver. I think he's an important receiver. I think he's a team leader. I think he blocks. I think he makes third down catches. I think he runs good routes, but I don't see him going up and making that play in the end zone that Ra Ra Thomas has done at Mississippi State. So that is something that I am going to keep an eye on. The backfield, we talked about it already. Kirby's got to manage it. I want to see the freshman, Roderick Robinson. I'm being I'm being great here. I like that big running back. I like the power game. I think Georgia needs to smash, smash, smash to set up some play action, protect their quarterback. Want to see what happens at left tackle, Ernest Green. Right, kind of in and out with that ankle. Is he going to be ready? We know Blasky can play there as well. Uh, we heard Kirby Smart with kind of a funny comment today. I don't know if he meant it to be funny, if he was kind of teasing his own players, but the, the comment was something to the effect of that, you know, it's not about what how good Warren Brinson says the Marius Mims is going to be. Because we all look at Mims, six foot eight and three thirty-five, and we all just want to put him in the Hall of Fame. We don't just say this guy, six foot eight, three thirty-five, 17% body fat five-star recruit, third-year player. Oh, my gosh, right? But like Kirby said, it's not about what people say about you. It's how you earn it. He said, and there's film he could show us where Mims doesn't look like that guy. And there's film that he could show us where Mims does. But the point is, and it's not about Mims, and it's not about Brinson. It's about this team earning it. For all the preseason accolades, however many first-team All-Americans, first-team All-SEC guys, watch list guys, NIL deals, for all that stuff, it comes down to what these guys do on the field. It comes down to their connectedness and their chemistry. And you're saying, well, now this is sound a little bit like coach speak. It is because it's true. Because that has been the separator for Georgia football. And offensively is where you need to be looking for that continuity against a team like UT Martin, against a team like Ball State. You need to beat up these teams. You need to overwhelm them. You need to build your confidence. You need to get your timing. That's what I'm going to – defensively, I don't have a whole lot of questions yet. Right now, later in the year, we're going to find out about Nazir Stackhouse and Zion Logue and Warren Brinson. All right, we're going to find out if these guys really can 
uh, uphold the standard that's been set there. They don't have Jalen Carter anymore. You've heard me talk about that long enough. We need to see what these guys are going to do. They've got to grow and get better as the season progresses. But early on, I don't have any questions about Tyke Smith, uh, Javon Bullard, uh, Malachi Starks, uh, Kamari Lassiter, and whoever the other guy is, whether it's Humphrey, whether it's Everett, whether it's Green. They're going to be tremendous in the secondary. Don't have questions uh, about uh, JDJ in the middle and Smile Munden. I don't have any questions about the linebackers or the secondary. Uh, Michael Williams, no question there. I want to see what Chaz Chambliss does coming off that edge. Some of those young players, right? But I kind of give Kirby the benefit of the doubt on the defense because he's the defensive head coach. Plus, he's got Will Muschamp. Plus, he's got Glenn Schumann. That is one heck of a staff. Maybe the best staff in the country. We'll ask Feinbaum what he thinks about that Georgia staff. But offensively, this is where there's questions, right? I mean, even when Munkin was here, the offense sputtered at times. They sputtered against Kentucky. They sputtered against Missouri, even with Todd Munkin. So don't want anybody going all revisionist history on us here telling us, oh, Todd Munkin was so – listen, Munkin looked great at times. But sometimes the offense didn't work. Okay? So just want to be clear on that. Um, pretty good wrap, first half of the show. I want to take a break right now, recognize our sponsor, Ingles. And when I come back, we got an interview with Paul Feinbaum. And uh, you're going to want to step in on your seatbelt because I think this one's going to get a little wild. Stay with us here right now. Let's recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back, everybody. Mike Griffith here, and as promised, our very special guest, Paul Feinbaum from the SEC Network and the Paul Feinbaum Show. Always enjoy uh, my visits with Paul. Usually, he's the one asking me questions, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take it easy on today. We're gonna have some real simple questions for you today, Paul. I want to start out asking about the Georgia Bulldogs in the three P. Now, Kirby said today, not something they're gonna talk about, not something they're gonna point to. Two questions. How realistic is it that it could happen, one? And two, what would it mean if Georgia were to 3 P? Well, Mike, I think it's, it is very realistic. Uh, we all know Georgia's the favorite, and we all know everything that, that's, that you have been talking about for months. Uh, I, think, I think it will happen, uh, and I'll spare you all the, the simple twists of faith that have occurred to multiple teams since uh, the late 30s. Uh, what will it mean? I think it will, first of all, end what, what in many people's minds is already a fruitless debate about the Saban dynasty. Uh, I've argued, as I know you have, that you can't have a dynasty when somebody else has won two in a row. Uh, they, they've had a great run. Uh, no need to waste your time on that. But uh, I, I think three in a row will just it, it will shatter that argument other than in the mind of a few Alabama fans who are still claiming that uh, they split in in 91, excuse me, in uh, what was it, 21, and, and last year was a wash considering they didn't have to play. Um, but more than anything, it just establishes Kirby Smart as the best coach in the country, which many people uh, already believe he is, Georgia as the best program, which I think they already are. Uh, it, it, it affects people that that simply won't let go of Nick Saban, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. 
Before I ask you about Alabama, I do want to get into that because you obviously know that content really well. You've had to talk a lot about Alabama. They've been on top for a long time. I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, Kirby just copied Bama. And I said, well, you know, he hasn't been there in eight years. This is a very different game now, this modern era with roster management, NIL. When you look at the characteristics and the personality of the Georgia program, what are some of the differences that stand out to you between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban? Well, I think today uh, the thing that stands out the most is that not only does Georgia have a better roster, they have a better staff. Uh, I am somewhat underwhelmed by what Nick Saban has had on his coaching staff in the last two or three years, especially since he lost Steve Sarkeesian. And I think what happens a lot of times, Kirby, uh, you know, Mike, uh, and what Kirby has been able to take advantage of is, that, yeah, there's loyalty. Uh, Mike Bobo is, is is self-evident of that. But but Saban has just made some very peculiar decisions. And I think, number one, uh, sticking with Pete Golding as long as he did. I mean, statistics can back up that he, he was a good coach. But anyone who watches football knows he made countless mistakes. And I think Nick Saban paid for that. And I think Bill O'Brien was a was a was a very bad decision to bring him back. He he was going the wrong way. I mean, he had the best quarterback maybe in school history. And he had somebody that was particularly un, unimaginative. He also made a critical mistake. It was only for one year. But when he brought in uh, Marone, who had been the, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars coach, uh, he did serious damage. And I know that sounds like I'm, I'm nitpicking, but we're talking about Nick Saban uh, at, at his age and at his stature and 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 in his run, you don't, you don't make those type of mistakes. And he did well, well, Kirby has done all that. I mean, the easiest thing to say is that Kirby has taken everything from Nick Saban uh, and gone over, but let's, let's get over that. Uh, we all know uh, the debate about what Kirby smart saw in the recruiting room. The day he left has been, has been uh, litigated more than what's going on uh, up in Atlanta, uh, a few miles from you about, about, about the 2020 election let's 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 (laughs) from a college football standpoint we don't need to go back uh to whatever he saw we we know he knew that material very well and and how he used it was his decision to make well i want to zero in on something you said there so so now we're let's go apples to apples here so if we're looking at the georgia staff and the alabama staff you're telling me you would take mike bobo and the schumann must champ uh co-defensive coordinator role over tommy reese and kevin Steele. Yes, I would, uh, because I think Tommy Reese is completely unproven. Uh, Mike Bobo is not. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can nitpick about Mike Bobo, but the one thing that, I, that 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 drives me crazy is when people blame Mike Bobo for what happened at South Carolina and Auburn. I mean, that's absurd. That's like, a, you know, somebody walking into a burning building and getting blamed for not being able to, to extinguish the flames. You know, Colorado State's on, on his watch. Uh, he's responsible for that. But those other two, he is not. And and as far as Kevin Steele, I, I, I'm like everybody else. I respect Kevin Steele uh, immensely. Uh, but I don't know if Kevin Steele uh, is is the answer. Uh, I mean, he, he's a he's a and we and you know better than I do. But I'll go ahead and say it. Nick Saban wasn't looking to hire Kevin Steele alone. He was looking to bring Kevin Steele in, have Jeremy Pruitt be an analyst for one year and then put him in that position. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is more highly regarded uh, as a defensive coordinator than Kevin Steele. Uh, Kevin Steele is not lowly regarded. He's just, you know, it's been, you know, I'm, I'm trying to count up all the championships Kevin Steele has been part of, and I'm, I'm still struggling. Please help me out. 
Yeah, well, speaking of struggling, I think the NCAA is is struggling right now with some of their decisions. And you bring up Jeremy Pruitt and, and this the six year show cause. And look, th- things went bad at Tennessee, and I'm not here to ask you to to, to defend Jeremy Pruitt. But when I compare penalties between uh, Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee football and Bill Self at Cam- Kansas, and uh, and now uh, the NCAA suspended Mason Smith, an LSU player, for the first game of the season because of a transaction two years ago. What is the NCAA trying to do here, Paul? And and is there any efficiency in this? Are there any messages being sent right now? There, there's no consistency. There's no message. There's no anything. Uh, the, the NCAA can is like a bully. Uh, they, they they don't take on anyone they can't be, or they just don't take them on. Uh, yeah, I mean, would I like to see the NCAA have more teeth? And and, and but. They don't. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a it's an organization that is completely bereft of leadership and, and accountability. And the Mason Smith thing was absurd. Uh, that was such a close call. Sometimes you have to look at it and go, you know what? We're here uh, allegedly to help the quote unquote student athlete, the most overused phrase in the world. Uh, they didn't help him. Uh, he was within a month of NIL. Let it go. He's by the way, he's already missed a year. Uh, because of injury. Now, why, now why LSU didn't declare him uh, back from the injury for the bowl game and then sit him out on a penalty, I'll never know. But that was clearly a mistake that uh, that LSU made. But the, the all this blather about Charlie Baker uh, coming in to save the day they haven't they haven't they haven't done one thing other than they've improved their public relations. Well, uh, speaking of saving the day, uh, I don't know what will save Florida football this year. Uh, because they open up with a very difficult road game. And I kind of want to go over just a few of these games where you just kind of get your knee-jerk reaction. I know you'll make picks, and certainly on your show each day on the SEC Network, you go much further into depth on these uh, these games. But off the top of your head, uh, what do you think about Florida opening up against Utah? What does your gut feel on that game? And and then follow up with the LSU-Florida game, since we were just talking about Mason Smith, excuse me, Florida State game against Yeah, my, my, my gut feeling remains Utah, on Utah. I mean, I don't know the – the situation with Cam Rising, and uh, maybe you do. Um, but what it tells me is I, I don't think he will be the factor in the game. Uh, I think it's the Utah defense, and and really the uh, that's a very difficult trip. I don't I don't care I'm, I don't care how you make it easier. You're you're playing in a in a completely foreign environment, and and I didn't see anything from Florida last year that would indicate uh, that with Graham Mertz at quarterback, uh, that's going to change. Now, the LSU-Florida uh, State game is, is really complicated. I, I'm, I mean, I have a slight lean toward LSU. Uh, I'm, and I think the quarterbacks are both outstanding. You know, the coaches are good. But but I, I really believe LSU. And by the way, I'm, I'm taking a lot of people's word for this because I'm not down there. But if you listen to our brethren, Mike, LSU is, uh, is, is top shelf. I still like Alabama to win the West, but, I, but I'll probably pick LSU to win this game. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, uh, you know, I turned on uh, game day and, and Kirk Herbstreit, a guy that I think both of us have a lot of respect for over the years. He's certainly called it right uh, a lot more times than wrong. And yet uh, the Alabama pom-poms were out. You know, the, the panel was picking Alabama. And I was I was a little, su- frankly, I was a little surprised. I don't expect everyone to pick Georgia uh, to win another national title. Uh, that's a lot to ask. But when I saw the picks for Alabama go across the board, and I, I don't, you know, Desmond's going to pick Michigan every year. I don't really count him. But when Kirk Herbstreit made that pick, that, that shocked. Were you a little surprised? I mean, because Herbstreit, he mentioned it over the summer. He's he's doubling down on Nick Saban. Yeah, and I think I think this is more about Nick Saban than Alabama, Mike. There, there are some people that 
are thinking, and I think he's part of that old school mentality that if Saban gets into a battle with Kirby Smart, he's going to win. And I, again, I'll, I'll try to keep this forward without looking back. And I, I think people are obsessing over that. And I, I don't buy that. Um, I do think Alabama has a legitimate shot at getting to Atlanta and 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 the playoffs. Now, the, you know, that, I think that's what helps them. Even even if they 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 stumble a little bit, a win over Georgia would get them in. But I don't see that happening. Uh, I think Alabama's only shot at the playoffs. Is, uh, is is an undefeated season going to Atlanta and, you know, you know, the scenario there. But uh, I, I, I don't really ever I, I, usually when people make predictions, I'll, I'll include myself. Uh, there, there's usually something behind it. Uh, and at the risk of sounding like I'm challenging Kirk Herbstreit here. There's something behind that. Uh, that that's you know, maybe Saban's told him something. Uh, maybe, but I don't know what Saban could have told him because I haven't heard anything from Saban lately that makes me uh, feel better about that program. Have you? No, no, and I'm still trying to figure out their quarterback situation. I mean, these Kirby's named somebody here. Is that is the Alabama quarterback? If, if you had to pick one, which which quarterback situation do you like better? There's a lot of inexperience on both. Oh, I, I don't, I don't think it's debatable. Uh, I like Carson Beck, and I heard what Kirby said today about uh, you know, and we all know it. I mean, he could have been the quarterback for the last couple of years. I, I I don't know what the results would have been, um, but it probably wouldn't have been dramatically different when you consider the talent on that Georgia team. And and that's taking nothing away from Stetson Bennett. I, I think we're kind of finally moved past that, uh, that parlor game. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think Milrow uh, and Saban was speaking as I popped on here. So maybe we already know the answer, but I think Milrow starts, but I don't think that matters really very much. It's what happens in that first game how does it play? How does it flow? Uh, and and really, the flow of the Texas game is going to determine the Alabama quarterback, not this first game. Yeah. You know, I, I watched the uh, Swamp Things uh, Netflix special the other day, and uh, <laughs> that was a Swamp Things, whatever it was. And uh, Ur- Urban Meyer was a very, very prominent role there. Dan Mullen was was doing, you know, uh, you know backflips, thought it was just wonderful. Uh, but Urban Meyer, at some point, he's come out and said, that the NCAA should mandate scheduling. I mean, did, did Urban just forget about his time in the SEC? I mean, is this an indication that Urban thinks he's going to be coaching somewhere outside? I mean, that just that that comment just struck me as just well, where does this? Where did that? And I'm not asking you to psychoanalyze Urban Meyer. Good luck with that. But where does a comment like that even come from? Who is he catering to there? Uh, that's a great question, and, and I don't have the answer. I mean, by the way, I mean, I, I think Urban Meyer watched Swamp Kings and 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 thought, you know what? I've got a career ahead of me because uh, I mean it was such a whitewash, and, and I know some of you were saying, "Well, weren't you in it?" Yeah, I was in it, um, and a lot of what I said about Urban Meyer never saw the light of day. I can I can tell you that I haven't said that before, but I will tell you right now. Uh, if you if you went back to the cutting room floor, as we used to say back in the movie business, uh, if they had played everything I said, uh, it would be, that would be a bigger story than what, what you just asked me. Um, but for whatever reason, the producers who were from England. Uh, wanted to you know, portray those for five years as. Uh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does being from England have to do with the producers? Are you telling me they don't really understand American football and the dynamics? Is uh, can I take that? Is that the conclusion here? Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Because I think you saw Mike. I mean, all that stuff that we saw in Swap Kings. I see that every Saturday, don't you? It wasn't that. I mean, wow. 
uh, there, there are thousands of people greeting Tim Tebow. I mean, I, I've worked with Tim for 10 years. I, I know that I know the drill, but I, I think they just I think they were they, to use a, a, an English phrase. I think they were gobsmacked by this whole thing, American football, college football. And they said, you know what? Yeah, a couple of murders, a couple of terrible things. But let's 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 look past that. Will people be looking past the Georgia football schedule by the end of the year? Because right now I have heard people beat Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs over the head about this the entire offseason. As long as Georgia navigates it, uh, it will be a, a, a non-starter by, by December. But uh, I, mean, uh, I, I try not to say the same thing everybody else says. It, it, it leaves them less room for error than, than, in, than in usual years. But, but even if they lost a game, Mike, let's say they lost to South Carolina. Not happening. Let's say they, they lost at Tennessee um, or Auburn or all these games that we, we collectively are going to try to manufacture. Uh, they still have an opportunity. And, 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 and unless, they, unless they play a dog in Atlanta, meaning LSU comes in there with uh, a loss to Florida State and a loss to somebody else or an Alabama team that lost to Texas and lost to somebody else, they're going to the playoffs. Uh, so – I don't think the schedule is nearly as important as uh, the pundits. Got a final question for you, Paul. Appreciate your time, by the way. Uh, take the time out for us on Dog Nation on the Ingles on the Beach show. And I asked Peter this, and I asked Chris this the week before. And, and I know most of the attention is on the West. It's a pretty sexy division. Final year of the division with Alabama and LSU and, and a dark horse A&M team that I think we both feel like could be dangerous. Is there anybody in the East? When you, when you look at the East, what is the biggest? Typically, we're talking about Florida. We joked this year at Media Days. We hardly even talked about Florida. It was like they weren't even there. So what is, who is the threat to Georgia in the SEC East? And what is the biggest threat to Georgia getting derailed and missing the football playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think the easy answer is Tennessee. Uh, but there are a lot of unknowns about Tennessee. I, I, I'll, South Carolina, to me, is going to be defined by the first game. If they lose that game, we can we can move on. Uh, and quit talking about this reclamation project Shane Beamer has with five losses every year or whatever, four or whatever. <laughs> uh, the the one school that I, I would throw as a danger, but I've been burned so many times, and you know where I'm going, is Kentucky. I mean, every year we try to turn Kentucky into something. The quarterback is is interesting. So was the quarterback last year. Um, and somehow uh, Mark Stoops finds ways to, to blow games that he, he shouldn't be blowing. So that's a really poor answer. So I'm going with Tennessee. Well, well, I just, before you go, I just want you to know that Mark Stoops holds a very, very important distinction, Paul. He is the longest tenured coach at a power five school to have never won his division. So that there's very important, but he's passed Bear Bryant on the wins. list. Oh, and, and, and it proves something even more important than that. Mark Stoops has a very good agent. <laughs> he, he does. He does. He keeps getting raises. You keep, hey, as long as you win eight or nine games at Kentucky, they're happy with you. Smart. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you on the SEC Network, on the Paul Feinbaum Show, and on Thursdays when I get to join you in, the tables Griff, are turned. If I could say one more thing. Sure. Griff is our most popular guest. Everybody talks about him. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you and your, your, your bosses for allowing us to uh, get a piece of you every week. Well, I appreciate it, Paul. Good stuff. I want to thank everybody for joining us and getting a piece of angles on the beat. I want to thank Paul Feinbaum. I want to thank my producer, Michael Carvel. Don't forget, every day, 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. Wednesday night, it's Jeff Centel before the hedges. And Sunday night, 
uh, Connor Riley. Oh, and the new Tailgater show now from Marlowe's with Kaylee Manziel. So thanks for joining us this week, everybody. And uh, we'll see you on game day.